1: No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, a cricketing podcast. And before we dissect the England loss in India and perform an autopsy, on the fourth and final test of that series. I want to start off by, uh, by being a bit more positive about cricket in general, because the last 24 hours since England lost to India in that test, seen a lot of negativity, a lot of angry ex-England players and angry England fans on social media. So let's look at the positives first. England women, have beaten New Zealand comfortably in an international T20 series. Very, very well done. Kieran Pollard smoked six sixes, which is always fun to see. Uh, probably not if you're the bowler, Dan and, Jaya. and although England lost the Test Series against India, it does mean that Australia don't qualify for the World Test Championship final. Maybe England threw the game on purpose just so they didn't give Nathan Lyon the satisfaction of lifting a trophy at Lords, the home of cricket. We'll talk about all of that and more on the podcast. And I'm joined once again by, first of all, Stephen Finn wearing a NASA cap there, Stephen Finn. Look at you, mate. Are you, are you a big fan of space and all that? Or you just pick up the first cap you saw?
2: I uh, I like to pretend I'm more intelligent than I am. So right. I, uh, to fit into my surroundings sometimes, I perform as a chameleon to um, to dress up and try and fit in. But actually, the, this cap caused a bit of controversy about 18 months ago. This cap and... Uh, Patagonia fleece. I wore it to. So when you're an ex-player and you're working for the media, sometimes you get asked to deliver um, or to to give out the caps in the huddle on the morning of a international game. So there was a T20 international at uh, in Christchurch in New Zealand, and I had literally got off the plane 24 hours before. It was freezing. Um, so, my attire for the day was this NASA cap and the Patagonia fleece. So, I went out and delivered like this rousing speech to a couple of the guys who were making their debuts about what it meant to play for England whilst wearing a Patagonia fleece <laughs> and this NASA cap and the backlash on social media. Because usually you look at like NASA Hussain, Mike Atherton, Ian Botham, they all wear suits and ties. Um, and I, I completely dressed down for it because I was a bit cold.
0: <laughs> but that is that is such a Middlesex thing to happen. One of my colleagues, when handing out his cap to a Middlesex player, I thought gave the best, most rousing speech of the of the whole lot. He said, "What a fucking time to be alive!" <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for those for those rousing words. Well, I think that those, those would rouse me. That that would like make me think, yeah, come on, up and at him. I really like that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I want a whole lecture just before I go out terrified playing England for the first time. You should have gone full Al
1: Pacino any given Sunday, Finney, and just really, really owned it, mate.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, we're off on our first tangent already without even saying hello to Dan. But um, <laughs> I'm fine with it. <laughs> I, there, there are stories, and I was actually in the huddle once, where my best friend, Sam Robson, or one of my best friends, Sam Robson, was getting his first ever Middlesex cap, and um, the captain who was um, Sean Noodle at the time. And Sam had only just come over from Australia, so no one really knew who he was. But, uh, but Shaggy stood up in the middle of the huddle and was like, congratulations, Stewie Robson, on playing your first game for Middlesex. And, uh, <laughs> and everyone was stood there going, no, 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 his name's Sam. His name's Sam.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what a I,
2: didn't make, I didn't make any cock-ups quite that big. But, um, but yeah, it was still got a little bit of backlash for my attire that day.
1: Well, I'm glad to see that you've not re- retired the hat and you're wearing it for this Zero Ducks Given podcast. And Daniel, how are you, mate? Uh, you, you, you look fed up. I'm going to be honest with you. You look fed up.
0: I am fed up. For a start, we're doing this at 11.30, so not even I could crack open the tier Maria at that time of day. And, and I'll be honest with you, much like the Indian ground staff, I took a kind of scorched earth policy to the end of the series. Because, you know, like, we've had to live in this different time zone. And I was trying to take the positives from a three-day loss you know at least the england team actually allowed me to have one day's work on this test i didn't get any on the last one so there was that oh sorry i don't want a twitter barrage to hit me now as a result Um, (laughs) anyway I, i i decided that i had to get my sleep patterns back to normal because i realized you know that we will not have to do these ridiculous early mornings now well for about two years because the next away series is in australia so you just power through don't you right so I thought yeah. well the only way to get myself back on track is to get absolutely leathered. so uh <laughs> so that, that's so. You, that's been your answer to a lot of problems well I mean it was perhaps a little bit more than normal last night because because you know I had to get my, I had to adjust so I had to make sure that I was so knackered that I'd wake up at you know like eight or something and uh and I sort of did and I'm regretting everything and I'm cursing you and Sal and Vinny for in the morning. This is just inhuman. And I'm really depressed because there's no test cricket for three months. And I can't see any bloody positives, Toby. There are none.
1: (laughs) I had this really nice idea that there's so much negativity around the minute that I'd start this this podcast really positively. And there's you complaining that we've had to wake you up at 11.30 in the morning. You didn't get to work, got the last test match. And Finney talking about the time he handed out an England cap and a Patagonia fleece and a NASA hat. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and claw back some positives, and I'll be honest. I sat down and I went right positives, positives, positives. What what do you think of? And uh, it's harder than you think to come up with any positives for this England versus India test series. I'll be honest. I've got one. Nobody's got sick yet. We haven't had the classic Delhi belly. Normally, when England go to India. Uh, they fall like flies, and everybody's getting ill. I don't know if it's because of the biosecure bubbles, so they're not exposed to anything, or whether sanitation's improved in the last few years since England last toured in India. I've got absolutely no idea. But uh, but nobody, as of yet, has fallen sick. That's one of the few positives I've got. Did you ever get ill when you were when you were playing in India, Finney? Did you ever get the infamous Delhi Belly?
2: Well, didn't Ben Stokes two days before his. Um heroic 22 overs in the day i think he might have had a, a slight upset stomach oh I really think it's reported yeah which just made his efforts even more superhuman and even more ben stokes like so it does yeah.
1: also explain why at one point he looked like he was going to die when when, <laughs> when when we gave him the second new ball and he'd already bowled he'd only bowled a few overs earlier and we and he bowled a horrendous spell with the new ball and i was like this bloke looks like somebody needs to get him to an to a hospital immediately so that does make a lot of sense so i hold my hands up and say okay the one positive is nobody got sick apart from by far our best player apart from sorry
0: that was the day when it said temperature 38 degrees feels like 44
1: <laughs> <laughs> really cranking it up there did you ever get ill finny or did you see anybody full victim to delhi belly
2: when you were on oh, i i actually managed to avoid it i think i toured india I've been to India a lot, but actual full england tours i think four four times maybe, so to avoid it in those times i think was it was a relatively good effort and actually speaks a lot about my genes and my mum, who listens to this podcast will be pleased to know that she provided me with genes that could cope with um the the Indian dodgy stomach bugs but the um i think I can remember there was a time in in two thousand and seven when I was eighteen and I had been selected to go on an England performance program trip to Chennai as like a supplementary bowler, basically a net bowler, to come and bowl at the, the England A team. So I arrived in India with Billy Godden and James Harris. The three of us got asked to go on this trip um, as as extra players, and I got put into a room with Chris Tremlett. And at the time, Chris Tremlett had just I think bowled India out in um, in the summer Test matches. So he was, he was big time. I'd only played a few first-class games. Chris Tremlett was in the full England team and was here getting fitness, I think, to then join up with England after, uh, after this trip to India. So, see, so yeah, I've sort of gone into the hotel a little bit nervous, found out I'm rooming with Chris Tremlett. I walk through the door. It's like the middle of the night. Go and get into bed, like try not to wake him up, manage to fall asleep. Then about an hour later... I wake up and there's just this noise coming from the bathroom. I no idea like what it was. I think it's like, it sounds like there's some cow like, <laughs> trying to regurgitate things in the bathroom. It's like... <laughs> and and uh, I wake up. I'm a bit jet lagged and uh, I walk around. And the first time I meet Chris Tremlett, he's on all fours in the bathroom <laughs> with things coming out of both ends of him. And I I was just (laughs) completely disorientated. He was like, oh, I'm I'm feeling shocking. (laughs) I... I walked straight out of the room, straight down to the reception, and the, the team manager, or rang the team manager, and uh, and tried to get myself my own room and tried to make sure that Chris Tremlett wasn't going to die uh, whilst he was on all fours in the toilet. So, yeah, that was quite an eventful first meeting for me and him.
0: You shake, you shake his hand. Hello, Mr. Tremlett. Nice to meet you. A, nice, to meet you. nice to I'll meet you. Projectile
1: vomit. You, you're a very good bowler, Mr. Tremlett. Very, very good bowler, Mr.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you nice in the summer, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was horrible, and and that's like and that would have been the first time I'd ever gone to India as well. So you hear all these stories about how it's just you just get done. Like you have to have to accept that every time you go there, you're going to get ill in some way, shape, or form, just because your stomach's not used to the food or, or whatever. Um, and and yeah, that that was my first experience of that. So that made me completely a hygiene freak when it came to touring India all the rest of the times because of this scarred experience I had the first time I got there
1: Chris Tremlett walked on all fours so that you could run essentially (laughs) Uh, let's move on to cricket shall we I've I've got another positive so nobody's got sick apart from Ben Stokes Jack Leach let's let's give Jack Leach you know a, a virtual round of applause who I think has cemented his place as England's number one spinner personally I always thought he should have been but he really has cemented his place as England's number one spinner, not just because uh, Don Best, bless him, didn't have the they had the best test series, but I thought he bowled beautifully on some very helpful wickets, but you still got to put the ball in the right place. And, and he did that very, very well. I'd like to give mention to Dan Lawrence as well in the last test match, who I thought showed a lot of character and, uh, and showed that he could actually bat in those conditions. And that's all I've got. Anyone else got any positives, yeah. Dan?
0: I've, I, I've got lots of positives, actually. India have only lost one game at home since 2012, other than the the game that even won the first test so everybody goes there and loses absolutely everybody I mean, it doesn't make it any less sort of hard work I mean, I mean although that said it was less hard work wasn't it than the last time when it took five days to lose by an innings having scored 400 yeah so this this way losing in three days by an innings or, or even two days by 10 wickets it sort of minimizes the pain and it's the same pain that everybody experiences so you know from around the world everybody loses there. Uh, so I think that was a positive. I, I think you're right about Dan Lawrence. Dan Lawrence, that 50 uh, at the very end was just sort of that typically tantalising English thing. Go, oh, I wonder if he had a fifth test. Who knows? Might Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. It was <laughs> it was, was a, a poor was man's a of version of Mark yeah. Butcher's
1: hundred against Australia. That's wasn't right. It? <laughs> yes, it was,
0: that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> I mean, there's and there was also one absolutely stonking statistic that England had 72 partnerships. After getting a 50 partnership, the next 72 partnerships didn't make it to 50, which is a kind of epic fail, which makes it, you know, that much more exciting. So there was like there was statistical fun in there. And to see Jimmy Anderson still being absolutely brilliant, I mean that was that was very encouraging. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's not the most positive experience. Stephen, can you you help us out? Look, you're used to it because you're a sportsman, so you actually have to find positives in an absolute drubbing in front of the media.
2: I sort of anticipated that I might have to try and shed some positive light on the series with uh, you two miserable bastards here with me. Um, So, look, I I think the way the scene bowlers bowled in this last test match and and the character that they showed was phenomenal, and I can appreciate how hard it is to bowl in those conditions. I think I played a test match in Sri Lanka in 2012 and it was 45 degrees or it was 45 degrees when you took into account the humidity and and everything that was going on. And I could only manage, I think it was 18 overs in the day. And at the end of that day, I was completely and utterly shot and could barely get out of bed the next day. So for this, the character that they did, Stokes and Anderson, to, to pull through that day and, and the economy rate that they had and, and only to be took down by Pant at the end it was a phenomenal effort, I thought. I look at the way Jack Leach bowled across the series, I thought, I think, as you said, was a, um, was a very positive thing. The way Joe Root batted over the course of the series, obviously tailed off a little bit towards the end, was almost impossible to keep up the high standards he set himself at the beginning of the winter. But I think when you walk away from a subcontinental tour and you've had a lot of young players in there in the mix, I think that you have to count the experience that they'd have gained about finding a method to play spin as an important factor in the series. I mean, I am being a very good professional sportsman here, finding the positives, but (laughs) um, I think that the young guys in that team, what they'd have learned about how difficult it is to play spin and how prepared and and how much work they're going to have to do before the next time they go there. But they'll know the work that they need to do. So here they've almost gone in cold on the back of not really understanding what it's like to play over there. Um, and now they've had this experience. So I've absolutely no doubt that they will be better for them.
0: How do sides get better at it, though? I ask that question very openly because it's the same problem that, people have around the world, but it's made especially difficult for English professionals, isn't it, with the way that we have set up our season. Joe Root alluded to it a little bit, actually, in his uh, in his post-game press conference. He was talking about, you know, maybe we need to have more points for a draw. Maybe pitches need to be, you know, harder to take wickets on that won't Please, Finney, a great deal. But in order to encourage people to bat longer. But fundamentally, I I don't know how you can prepare people for the experience, certainly of that pink ball on that pitch. Because how do you replicate it? I mean, do they do they have pitches in Dubai that they go and use or, or anything like that? Or, or, or do we just have to pick the Somerset top six?
2: <laughs> um, it's, um, I think there are ways that you can replicate it and there are methods of training. But I'd say rather than trying to replicate exactly the conditions, it's about finding a method that you can use and then adapt that as you go along, because you're never going to perfectly replicate the conditions that we, or that the players encountered, especially in that pink ball test match. But I, I remember a lot when, when I played and Andy Flower was the coach, he was very active in letting people know that we had a problem against spin in terms of, he was very open with the fact that we need to get better at playing spin if we're ever going to go over there and conquer India in India. So There were always drills in the nets, and away from that that the batsman would do in order to become more decisive. And I think that it's decisiveness that actually is the key factor when trying to negate the conditions that you have over there. So if you do something with conviction, you're far more likely to excel at it than you are if you're doing it 50-50 or half-hearted. And by that, I mean, if you're committing to being on the front foot And get into the pitch of the ball you're completely on the front foot and at the pitch of the ball and if you're committing to getting back you're right back on your stumps and you're playing it as late as you possibly can so if you watch the innings that Joe Root scored runs and you look at his interception points of the ball there's very little in that middle section it's all out in front or right back and that's one of the things that I really remember even us tailenders when Andy Flower was coach one of the things that he would nail you on if you weren't doing it in the nets every single time, because it's all about building habits, was always, are you picking the length out of the bowler's hand? And are you reacting to that as quick as you possibly can? And that gives you a better opportunity to then find ways to score runs from both those points, whether it's right forward or right back. Because I think in that pink ball test match, I think even the England batsmen would admit when they watch it back, that a lot of the time they were beaten by being half-hearted and not committing to what they were doing
1: yeah I, I i think that's one of the frustrations is like you say dan the the score line i can live with losing 3-1 in india against this india side who just beaten australia in australia that's fine i thought we'd lose three or four 0 i'll be honest with you and i do think the frustration was watching the test series we didn't improve it apart from the first test which seemed like a bit of a freak result in hindsight I felt like the English batsmen actually got worse at playing spin as it went on. And there was no clear method and no clear idea or no clear plan from each of the individual batsmen. I think that was what frustrated fans sitting very comfortably on their sofa, wrapped up in nice blankets, watching the cricket in the middle of the night. I know it's not the same, but I think from a fan's point of view, that was what was frustrating was not seeing any of the batsmen really learn their game or improve over the course of the series. And I didn't think we learned too much from this defeat in India because... If another test series started tomorrow, I think we'd probably keep on making the same mistake. But it does lead me on to one of my my, my main questions I wanted to ask here, which is where have all the world-class English batsmen gone? And this is not criticising the current lot at all. It's just comparing them to sides from not too long ago. Cook, Strauss, Trott, Peterson, Bell, Collingwood, Pryor, all played at the same time all averaged over 40 in tests. I mean, Paul Collingwood is probably the least glamorous name out of those, but his average would walk into this test team at the moment. He'd be the star batsman at the moment. Only Joe Root averages over 40 in test matches. Sibley, Crawley, and Lawrence all average under 40 in first-class cricket. Not not even test cricket, first-class cricket, they average under 40. And I just don't know how we've gone from Cooks, Troush, Trot, Peterson, Bell, Collingwood, Pryor, to 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 the current lot, Dan. Have you got any suggestions? Where,
0: where have they all gone? Well, well, I, I, well, I wanted to ask finnie Philly because Finney's played county cricket across, straddling those eras, mm. and it strikes me. I, I see quite a lot of county cricket, and the Duke's ball particularly, and when they play in April, May, and September, can deflate their first-class averages and make it harder for batters to play on surfaces that give them the opportunity to play long innings. Has has that made a difference, do you think, Finny, or are we like over-egging this? Is it it basically that batsmanship has changed and this positive, fearless approach that people have been encouraging, which works superbly in the white ball under Owen Morgan, is perhaps inappropriate for the Test Arena?
1: Now, before you answer that, Stephen, Fin, and Daniel uh, sort of alluded to it there, I I did make a note here. Nobody's allowed to mention the advancement of white ball cricket. Oh, Uh, Let (laughs) me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because the best two batsmen in the India team were Rohit Sharma and Rishabh Pant, Fair who enough. were meant to be white ball <laughs> players. So, Stephen Finn, I've probably taken away your answer. Where's all the good batting gone? And you're not allowed to mention the advancement of white ball cricket because it seems to be working for Pant and Sharma just fine.
2: Yeah, well, I, well, thank you <laughs> for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back me into a corner where there's limited answers I can give. I like that. That's a good interviewing technique, that one.
1: <laughs> I've probably Jeremy paxman you there, haven't I?
2: Yeah, you, you should get... <laughs> Megan and Harry on here. You can walk them into a corner.
1: <laughs> we couldn't get Sam Billings this week. I don't think we've got much chance of getting Harry and Megan. <laughs> no,
2: that's fair enough, yeah. He's blanked me. He's still not read my WhatsApp, Billings, either. ghost ghosting. I know. That is literally ghosted. Yeah, let's yeah. call him out and get him on. <laughs> yeah, Billings. I think it's a combination of everything. I don't think you can fully put your finger on one thing and say it is that. I think... There's no doubt that the advancement of T20 cricket and one day cricket has led to a potential lessening of the skill of spin bowlers, I think, because actually in T20 cricket, you get rewarded for being inconsistent as a spinner and being hard to predict. And I think that one of the fundamentals of spin bowling in general is consistency. And it tends to be as you go through your career as a Spinner, you get better and better to the point where I think Graham what made his England or his second England debut at 28 or 29 years old when he'd played county cricket for 10 years. And there's no doubt that then when 2020 cricket wasn't as prevalent, guys' main focus was being as consistent as they possibly could. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why people don't face that much high quality spin bowling in domestic cricket. Is, that is one factor. I do think the season being pushed to the fringes um, or the margins of the season, or the four-day games rather, being pushed to the margins of the season, I think also makes a difference. I, I Particularly in, in April and early May, I think that seam bowling is way more prevalent, obviously, and slow scene bowling as well. And that's why there's not many guys who bowl 90-odd miles an hour anymore, because if you're... A seam bowler, and you want to be successful in county cricket, you have to be consistent. You have to just build nagging forward defensive length the whole time. And it's those guys who take a majority of the wickets.
0: You're having another go at Tim Murta.
2: Yeah, always. <laughs> always. He I, I attribute, I think, maybe uh, 200 of his first class wickets to myself uh, when I bowled quick at the other end, and people were just like, Well, I'm just going to have a slog at Mertz here. Why not? And, and he took the wickets. I've told him that a number of times. So. I'm still waiting for my check actually from him for um, for all the uh, extra years he's put on his career as a result of that. I, But uh, yeah, I think there's a number of factors and I'm sort of half waffling around the point and not being committal to any one thing. But I think there are a lot of contributing factors that have led us to this place where we don't have the consistent older spin bowlers anymore that then mean that people's techniques get tested on flatter, harder pitches in the middle of the summer. And then... There's a number of things basically. I'm not articulating it very well, but yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: going go, I go to back you up with a really obvious point here, which is that Oli Pope uh, had first class average of around about 60, and was was actually one of those kind of batters. I think you were talking about Toby that, that England, and I, I still believe that he will become that over time. You know, and he took down Nokia, You know, everyone raved about the reverse the reverse ramp of Anderson. He did that against Anrich but Yeah. 10 miles an hour faster than the previous winter. But he'd not faced spin bowling on tracks like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is obviously a very different technique, isn't it? As, as Philly's points out, you need a different technique that you can't just learn it in the middle of a test match. And if anything, I was reminded a bit, one of the lovely things about test cricket and long series is how these match-ups can really get inside batter's heads you know, back in the past, it was like Lillian Thompson. Oh, God, you got to face Lillian Thompson. And they got harder to face the longer the series went on. Mm. And actually, it gets harder, I think, for batters to face those same bowlers when they've been beaten by them time and again. Look at Pajara with Leach. I mean, there came a point when Pajara just looked like he was going to get out to Leach off every ball he bowled him. And he'd never got out to a left-arm spinner before. I think once in 1,800 balls. And uh, Leach got him four times. So, Yeah. You know, you've got that psychological aspect as well, haven't you, that comes into a long series.
2: I think the analysis around the game is amazing. But the the problem with it and the problem that I've found at times is that you can look so closely at what you're doing and what your body's doing, uh, both as a bowler and a batsman, and you can second-guess yourself. And I think over the course of a series where you're playing uh, and let's not forget that this series has been played in biosecure conditions. So the guys can't get away from cricket. You can never escape that. They've had four games in pretty much four weeks against arguably the best team in the world at the moment in their own conditions. And, and that leaves you battling with the thought process of, right, well, he's got me out twice like this. I need to do this differently. And then when you're doing that in the middle of a series... You're constantly chasing your tail. And that's why I think by the end of it, you say it was frustrating, annoying to not see people work it out as they go along. But I can tell you that they are 100% trying to work it out. But, But the way and the nature of the quickness of the series is a reason why that then people look as though they're very muddled in their thinking when it comes to playing because they're there I can guarantee they'll all be sat there watching themselves batting back on replay in slow motion saying right my hands are coming from here to here I need to change that and the second you go out into a test match thinking about those technical things that's when you're not concentrating on picking up the length of the ball or as a bowler you're thinking about what your arms and legs are doing and you're not concentrating on the line that you're bowling as much because you want your technique to be right so there's this vicious cycle and I've experienced it a number of times. And I've no doubt that a few of the guys in that England team are experiencing it and working it out as they go along now. Um, And it's just a way of coming through that and realizing the thought processes that you need, which is why that one of my positive things that I said when we, uh, when we started this, um, this caveat and this part of the conversation was that these guys will have learned the work that they need to do so that the next time this series comes around, They will know in the month building up to the series that they, right, the one thing I have to do here is learn to pick length from a spinner's hand the second it comes out of his fingers. And that makes it infinitely easier. And that's something that you can train and and practice over a period of time, but not mid-series. It's incredibly hard.
1: Yeah, I I think that all the batsmen will be better off for the experience, no question. And like you say, they... I think mentally they were shot. I mean, Axel Patel looks like a hell of a player, but 27 wickets at 10. He's not that good. He's not going to maintain those numbers for his whole test career. And if he does, then, then fair play to him. Uh, right, let's move on from the post-mortem uh, of English cricket. A couple of things I would like to add as well. You mentioned Dominic Bess. I think he can take some, some heart from Graham Swan. Dominic Bess, you know, he's still very young and, you know, he's got four or five years, six years before he's probably at his peak as a spin bowler. And also a great series for Josh Butler who, when he went home after the first test, had the lowest test-batting average out of himself, Ben Folkes, and Johnny Bairstow, and he now has the highest without playing a single game. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Right, positives. Positives. I like this. We focus on the positive. Uh, it was announced in the budget this week that English cricket is to receive a significant chunk of the £300 million pounds for sports, basically because Rishi Sudak's a cricket fan. We're, we're, we're lucky there. It's lucky he doesn't like, you know, badminton or something. Otherwise, there'd be loads of money being thrown at badminton. He's a cricket fan. What should we spend this new budget on? I suggested on the Zero Ducks pod Twitter account that maybe we could spend it in the DFS sale to buy some bigger sofas for English cricket fans to hide behind next time we tour India. What about freezing, <laughs> freezing Ben Stokes? I figured if we froze him in between every single test match and just wheeled him out then he could play to, well, he could play for the next 100 years if he only ever woke up to to bowl and bat and then went straight back into the freezing chamber or i just thought whenever things are going badly with the current lot i mentioned that ridiculous batting lineup earlier i'd like us to build a time machine where you step into it and every time you step into it you reappear at brisbane when we're 517 for 1 and you just <laughs> you just drink it in for a bit and then you and then you can head back to england getting <laughs> spanked by Axel patel anything you'd like to spend the money on dan
0: yeah, well, I mean, I just keep on being told, don't you, at these Downing Street press conferences that we're world-beating at everything. We've got the world-beating tested tracing, world-beating genomic sequencing. Apparently, we're, we're world-beaters at this stuff. So I think what we need to do is basically take follicles from the best players of spin that we've had, like, say, Kevin Peterson, Joe Root. We could dig up a bit of Peter Steven May, Finn. something like that, Stephen Finn, yeah, uh, and and clone them. I think a a giant cloning farm. I think we could actually uh, steal a bit of the Indian DNA as well. We could get our own Rishabh. He'll have have left something on the outfield there. We can (laughs) can scoop it up. As long as he's created in a Petri dish in England, he'll be qualified to play for England. So we fight fire with fire. That's what we do. And we, we make a farm, a genetic farm, where we create the perfect specimens of cricketers.
1: Oh, that'd be lovely. As long as it's made in a Petri dish in England or South Africa, we'll be able to claim it for the the test side. Anything you'd like to spend the money on, Philly?
2: Well, when you posed me this question on the WhatsApp group, I didn't quite extrapolate it to the point of alien cloning farms. I actually thought about it quite seriously, what we could actually do with the money. Um, But but yeah, I, I mean, I like the sound of all of those things. That time machine back to Brisbane 2010 I was stacking some of the finest Zeds in the dressing room when that partnership was going on. So it was uh, that'd be a wonderful time. I'm not sleeping that great at the moment. So just take me back to that dressing room, very peaceful, knowing I wasn't required to bowl for a little while. That was um, that was wonderful. But in my serious analysis, of, oh, there we um, go. Hello, <laughs> I'm not capable of being serious. To be brutally honest, all the things that you've said they they make perfect sense, and I can't argue with them. And and I can't actually think of any logical way, way to spend. 300 million other than Bugattis all round or something like that. I'm,
0: I'm <laughs> time is sure. it, is it, I mean, I, I don't know. Is there something quite seriously in, in grassroots cricket that can help? I mean, in some ways, you know, one of the best things that could happen would be if if some of that money could go to, I don't know, free-to-air, free-to-air broadcasting. Which yeah. is not to say I don't want Sky to be broadcasting because they're magnificent. I want to keep them going as well. But just being able to open up cricket to a wider audience now, you can't use it for that because it's probably anti-competitive but that might be the single most useful function and you know creating getting getting some playing fields back will be a nice thing we've lost yeah. an awful lot of playing fields in the last 25 years
1: uh, i should say actually uh back to a slightly serious topic other than scraping Rishabh Pant out of the outfield but uh i think that there are going to be some t20 internationals shown on free to air tv as well which is a step in the right direction because you know my love of cricket comes from watching the old Channel 4 coverage of of the England Test team. And also, a really crap England Test team. You know, I saw a lot of people on social media going, oh, it's such a shame that it's on free-to-air TV and England are getting beat. I watched the England team of the late 90s and early noughties getting spanked every single week on free-to-air TV, and it didn't ruin my love of the game at all. So uh, so there is some positives in England getting spanked, nonetheless. Uh, Speaking of getting spanked, uh, Dan Anjaya for Sri Lanka went for six sixes. Now, this is... A very short-running podcast so far, but the amount of things that we've got catastrophically wrong in a short space of time is actually, it's almost quite impressive. Dan and I have been predicting (laughs) England wins in pretty much every test this series, which haven't come to fruition. I said that uh, Chris Morris was a myth and the most overrated cricketer on the planet, and he went for a world record fee in the IPL. Dan said that all West Indians get overpriced at IPL auctions. (laughs) and And I said that Kieran Pollard only gets loads of money at the IPL because he once did something good a few years ago, and he lives off that ever since. And then he goes and hits six sixes in and over and joins a very, very elite club. We should mention that Dan and Jaya took a hat trick earlier on in the game as well. Life comes at you fast. Just when you think you've cracked life, something like this can happen. Akira and Pollard can come along and ruin everything for you. It's one of those when when I used to go back to my mum after I'd played cricket on a Saturday as a kid and, and I'd bowled and you know I'd taken three wickets, but I'd also gone absolute round the park. My mum would go, how did it go? And I go, took three wickets, mum. Took three wickets. <laughs> Wouldn't mention the other stuff. You know, Dan Anjaya's gone back to his missus and gone, <laughs> took a hat-trick. <laughs> no, <laughs> no biggie. Yeah, just, just a hat-trick for me earlier. Don't don't you mind that? Uh, Finney, we talked about your destruction at the hands of Brendan McCullum. I'm sorry to come back to it so soon, but... Uh,
2: yeah, I'd love to talk about something good I've done at some stage. I mean, be...
1: <laughs> well, it's it's very hard to find anything. It's like searching for positives out of the England-India series. You know, you've know, really got to scrape the barrel for it. But uh, Brandon McCullum obviously gave you a bit of tap. Have you ever had a game where you're going along quite nicely and you're doing quite well, and then suddenly it's just all gone horrendously?
2: I mean, not quite as extreme um, as our Sri Lankan friend there. I, I haven't, <laughs> haven't ever taken a hat-trick and then... Got a hit for six sixes, which, yeah, must just be literally from the penthouse to the shit house in, in, in a couple of overs.
0: With Chris Tremlett in it, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. There'd be a lot of shit down there as well. Um, I, I, there was a game a couple of years ago, I think 2019, against Kent at Lords. so Middlesex against Kent in the T20, and I think I bowled my first three overs. I might have got two for 15 or something like that, or a, a wicket for 15. I hadn't gone for many runs. Um, I felt good. You get caught you're confident. And then you're just held back in the attack. And I bowled the last over of the innings to Alex Blake. And there is actually one bloke on Twitter who just loves to remind me of this over about once every six months, he just pops in and goes, Oh, you remember that over you bowled to Blakey at Lords? <laughs> <laughs> you're shit. I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> just keep reminding me of it, mate. Yeah. Every time. Um, so, and yeah, I think I bowled a dot ball, the first ball. And then I think it went something like six, six, four, six, four, um, for, for the remaining balls of the over. And yeah, he's just, when he gets it, Alex Blake, he's a big fella. And I played with him when I was a kid. So I thought he might show some mercy to me, but he didn't. And yeah, if you get it a little bit wrong to him, uh, he can hit it a mile. So yeah, I didn't quite execute my skills as well as I'd have liked to that day. And he pretty much guessed everything that I was trying to bowl. He guessed it um, uh, and just uh, just slogged me out of the park. So, yeah, th- three overs for 15 runs in a T20, flying, and then I think it ended up four overs for 40. I think that final <laughs> over went for
0: 25. It, it can only happen to bowlers, though, can't it, really? Because, you know, for batters, you, you're never going to have a really good game and then it goes catastrophically wrong. Because if you've had a really good game and your side loses, you just sit there smugly and the change will go, well, it wasn't my fault, which, at least, <laughs> you know, I have on the very rare occasions I've had a good game with a bat and we always lost. That's exactly how, how my reaction was. So it's, I think it's being a bowler. I think it's really brutal. But, you know, I'm old enough to remember the first time someone hit the 6'6". Six, oh, I don't remember it at the, at the time it happened. Gary, Gary Sobers. Sobers. Gary Sobers. Was yeah. the
1: bowler a Nash? Am I making was, that up?
0: It was Malcolm Nash. And Malcolm one of one, Nash. wonderful things about Malcolm Nash was that not only did he go for 36, the first man to go for 36, and in Swansea, the ball was hit so far on one occasion it went all the way down the high street because it was on a on a hill. Sobers hit it over the ground and onto the road and it ran down the high street towards the sea. So that's like the longest six of all time. It went something like <laughs> 300 meters. But then poor old Nashi got, got taken for 34 a couple of years later. So which I think at the time w- well would have been a record were it not for his 36. And um, <laughs> uh, other weird things about those 36 is uh, Testback specials producer Adam Mountford will never let you forget that he was actually at the game when Herschel Gibbs hit those six sixes. We never really count that one because it was against Namibia, which is yeah. fair. And he was also at the ground when Yuvraj um, Singh hit Stuart Broad. And Stuart Broad has never been allowed to forget those <laughs> six sixes, but mostly by Yuvraj. So at least Blakey himself doesn't come onto Twitter to have a go at you, Whereas Yuvraj, as <laughs> sends yeah, out little true. reminders. <laughs> that <laughs> seems to be
2: the case, doesn't it? The the ICC's Instagram account, so I follow it on uh on Instagram, and it's just if nothing's happened good for Indian cricket for a few days, they just recycle you've <laughs> in broad for six sixes and like remember when UV did this, it must be you must have for Christ's sake, lads, let it go.
1: Poor Stuart Broad years ago. Oh no, he's taken he's taken five hundred Test wickets. One of the finest bowlers of all time in India. Oh, he's the bloke that went for those six sixes off you Raj, didn't he? I saw it on Twitter the other day. Uh, well, that that leads us seamlessly into social media and Twitter. And thank you for getting involved as ever at Zero Ducks Pod on Twitter, at Zero Ducks Pod on Instagram, and still at Zero Ducks Pod on TikTok. So earlier on this week, thank you very much for your responses. I spotted on TV that there was a TV show called Inside Chernobyl with Ben Fogel. And uh, somebody on Twitter went, did they only make this TV show because it rhymed? And so then I, uh, I, I put it to Twitter, the good people of Twitter and the followers of At Zero Ducks Pod, of what rhyming cricket TV shows would you like to see? The Spanish Armada with Cagizo Rabada, Brighton Pier with Imran Tahir, the Battle of Waterloo with Tatenda Taibu. And thank you very much for all your responses. Uh, Will Edwards said the Battle of the Somme with Colin the Grand Homme. (laughs) That's a strong one, isn't it? Toddlers and Tiaras with Brian and the Laras, said another Dan on Twitter, who said his family would need to take part. Daniel, again, a different Daniel, behind bars with Warnika La Saraya, Pata Bendiga, Asanta, Joseph, Chiminda, Vas. Oh, that's, that is
0: terrific work. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I've got no idea if I said that correctly, if you're listening yeah, to me. Yeah, you did, it was pretty good. Yeah. I think I did pretty yeah, well there. Yeah, you did. Uh, Henry Moran, a colleague of uh, Daniel Norcross's, says, I've been longing for an England cricketer's explore British waterways for years. Stokes on Trent, Denley on Thames, Joss on Y, and Broad on Broads as well. Uh, and also to Robbie, who wanted a four-part series hosted by Jonathan Trott, the legalisation of Pot, Some Like It Hot, trump follower or bot <laughs> and, <laughs> and manger or cot a christmas special so thank you very much for all your suggestions and you had a few daniel didn't you i knew this was right up your street
0: when i mentioned yeah. it monkey tennis with mike dennis uh, no i uh, well <laughs> that, what what, what that, that just came to me i don't know why it's because it's gone quite partridgey there's a chap called alan engel i used to commentate with a bit like testback sofa who had a beauty Jack jackanory with adam perori <laughs> um, I had the Flame Trees of Thika with Dashun Duna Tilica, um which was a, a terrible program, Flame Trees of Thika, back in the eighties. But actually, the one I'm most proud of because it's kind of mo- it's got a modern twist with a with an old reference, and everyone's talking about this program at the moment. It's it's a sin with Assi Din, which <laughs> I just think it's punchy, and I want to see it. To be oh, really I'd oh, watch all of these, especially sorry. in lockdown. I mean, Asif Din must be getting on now. He must be getting on for about 70 odd. He, he starred in Warwickshire's loss to Surrey in the 1982 Nat West Trophy Final for any bears out there listening. that uh, he was I mean, he wasn't quite a man of the match, but that's 40 years ago. So yeah, I think
2: it's just what Asif
0: did and just a shout out though to to at, Alan Engel and Paul Howard had a kind of competition on Twitter about this. They were going back and forth. And I think it reached an apex when when Alan decided he was going to try and go through all the film 91. So it's film 91 with William Gunn, film 92 with C.K. Naidoo, film 93 with Peter Lee, film 94 with Dav Watmore. Uh, my favourite probably film 96 with Buren Hendricks. Nice. And he finishes it off with film 99 with Sunil Narine. The inventiveness of you people out there is yes. a thing to behold.
1: Thank you so much. So yeah, he Stephen pod-
0: Finn. Oh, we could have had it to Sim with Stephen Finn. What it's, uh, yeah. Of? You, you, it's worrying
1: that we've been doing this podcast for six weeks and you think of Asif Din before you think of Stephen <laughs> Finney, you stare at once a week for a complete an hour.
2: shambles. <laughs> oh,
1: well, sorry, guys. Well, speaking of complete shambles, that leads nicely onto social media and, and Stephen Finn because we put out a video of Stephen Finn from last week's pod. If you listen to it, um, he, he said that he reckoned Tim Murto used to run him out on purpose just so that Stephen Finn would stay below him in the order. And we put this video out on social media and Stephen Finn said at that point, luckily he can't see anymore because Tim's 40 years old. Tim replied saying, imagine averaging half of what a blind 40 year old does with the bat in first class cricket. That takes some skill. A a response from you, Stephen Finn.
2: He's got a fair point, really. (laughs) <laughs> it does. He he's called himself the Lambeth Lara for years because of his, his upbringing in Lambeth and the fact he plays a a, a backfoot waft like Brian Lara does. I mean, he doesn't connect as much as Brian Lara does, um, but but yeah, he's um do you know, he was a, he was a very capable batsman when he came to the club. He came with this reputation of being this all rounder. He batted at seven, I think, in his first game for the club. He came averaging I think 32 with the ball and 30 with the bat so a decent all-rounder and then I think he said I I just got too good at bowling to be that good at batting anymore so (laughs) his average his first class average now I think is probably in the early 20s and the number of wickets he's took over the last few years yeah I think his theory is he just became far too good at bowling to have to worry about batting anymore.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, you've not got to that stage yet. You still need to keep working on your batting in the nets, do But you?
2: Do you know what? I I had some nets this week just gone, and we've only just gone outside onto grass. So um, you get used to the pace of the ball coming off grass. And I've had three of the finest nets of my career. So Here we go. And I think a few of the boys that I've seen from Middlesex, I mean, in this new young age, uh, the guys just love putting videos of themselves, doing stuff on social media, lacing cover drives. And I'm like... I'm sure I saw you miss the ball about 10 times in training but if you look on social media it looks as though they've middled everything so I'm gonna have to take this approach I'm gonna get someone to video me batting this week at practice and then I'm gonna edit out all the ones that I miss and don't hear out the middle and I'm just gonna put up all these ones of me lashing them out the middle of the bat and just hope that in my quest to become a franchise cricketer over the next few years um, as my body starts giving up I will um I'll have to eek this out there so it looks as though I can slog the ball out of the park
0: um, Stephen Finn I'm about to tell you something that's going to make your day even worse Brilliant. And, and I'm also going to ask you whether this is is this the worst thing about cricket Tim Murtagh is the only man in the history of test cricket to have scored over 25 in both innings of a test match batting at number 11 oh against Afghanistan he got 54 not out and 27 to create a world record is that Nick. the worst thing about cricket
2: it's one of the worst things, yeah, because it just gives him bragging rights. I'm godfather. I'm godfather to his eldest son. And, yeah, so whenever I go around there, you just reminded all his memorabilia up on the wall. He's got his scorecards and, and things like that. And, yeah, you look around and you do feel wholly inadequate. And now that he's took another... A crown off me, the best number eleven in Test match cricket. Yeah, it makes me feel a bit sad, really.
1: That is so strong. And uh, well, I look forward to seeing Finney's batting across the season because it sounds like Finney's seeing it, seeing it well. You're doing a reverse Darren Stevens. Darren Stevens started off as a good batsman, turned into a bowler, and you you started off as a bowler, and you're going to slowly turn into a batsman. Although reverse Darren Stevens sounds like the least <laughs> sexy sex position. In in the, in the in the history of the world. Oh, that, whatever you're doing, where you're listening to this podcast, do not picture what a reverse Darren Stevens would consist of. <laughs> um finally, Finney, so Toby Rowland Jones waded into this Twitter spat and he said, Siri, find me Stephen Finn's shot that he played first ball at Scarborough in 2016. Stephen Finn, what happened at Scarborough? in 2016
2: (laughs) we um Middlesex had fought their way back into the game and Toby and Mertz actually put on an incredible partnership I think Mertz might have got 50 Toby got 80 and they were smashing it all over the place and it got us into a position where we could push to win the game and I walked out at number 11 with Toby on 80 odd having played amazing they'd wrestled all the momentum back. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, Tobe's one of my close mates. I really want to help him get to 100 here because he deserves it for the way that he's played. Um, so I walk out and Tobe's like, and Adam Live was bowling, I think. And I was, Tobe's was like, right, there's no spin, <laughs> mate. There's no spin. Just get me on strike and I'll do the rest. Something of that essence. And first ball, I saw Adam Live bowling. I, and he, he's a very capable bowler. But just in my head, I was like, Adam Lyth. Okay. And the ball was like halfway down and I was like, well, defend, 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 defend. And I was like, nah, sod that. This has got to go for six. So just played a wild slog sweep, towed it straight up in the air. And I think extra cover, Tim Breslin caught it. uh, And I think Tobe wouldn't look at me for the next 24 hours. (laughs) But the advantage of that was... We then turned around and went straight out there to bowl, and we ended up bowling him out in no time at all. So I feel as though I was partly responsible for um, for us getting out there and bowling and having that momentum at the time, rather than letting that batting innings just drag on a little bit too long.
0: This is, this is absolutely brilliant insight, because you know on punditry a lot and on commentary we'll say, I wonder what's going through his mind now. And, and now we've got the answer. What's going through his mind is to do the right thing until the last minute when he'll just... <laughs> Do the wrong thing. So, what's going through his mind? Well, there's a monkey on his shoulder who's going, "Go on, screw it up." We, I, I love that
1: we started this podcast talking about how the English batsman didn't find a method as as the series went on. Stephen Finn didn't find a method as the ball was coming down the
2: pitch. <laughs> that's tail end batting for you. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much, Daniel. We didn't even get into previewing the T20 series coming up against India uh, because we ran out of time, but we'll talk about how that's going on next week and we'll talk about everything else going on in the world of cricket. But obviously, England are going to walk that series because they're the best in the world at white ball cricket. Easy. Absolutely no problem easy easy victory for england and all of our predictions on this podcast have gone well so far chaps thank you very much for for joining me daniel thank you very much for dragging yourself out of bed at 11 30 yeah, in the it morning wasn't easy. lovely to see you both chaps speak to you soon
0: Cheers.
2: see you